0: Welcome back to Want to Watch here on get Football Plus, where we aim to look that little bit closer at some of football's up-and-coming talents. My name is Alfred. I'm your host for today, and I'm joined by today's guest, David, a.k.a. Undervalue. How are you doing today, David?
1: I'm well. I'm well. How are you?
0: Yeah, I'm doing great. Thank you. Um, very busy schedule on this podcast, I guess, because we have a lot to get through. Uh, today, we're going to be coming in with a different angle to our usual uh, kind of point of view on youth scouting, youth development in football, uh, as David is something of an expert, or at least an enthusiast um, of on sporting directors and and sports club directing. Uh, David, the, the first time I, I kind of heard about you was through your newsletter, uh, the Saturday Sporting Director. So, um, it, yeah, which is about giving insights on managing uh, sports clubs for aspiring directors. Um, How did this uh, passion or interest at least for sports directors come about? And from then, how did you kind of develop your idea into creating this um, newsletter and why?
1: Yeah, it's a funny question because it's all about pride. Um, I think I'm the best sporting director ever. Uh, no I'm kidding i'm kidding uh ever <laughs> ever since I was young um when I say young i mean um probably seven eight nine um i've just i've always loved sports so uh, I'm from the United States um I grew up playing American football um I was fortunate and and skilled enough to play professionally for a little bit uh but I was a late bloomer and the the stories and the the legends that always captured my attention were the underdogs, the ones who took uh, longer to develop, the ones who everybody else passed on. Um, I don't know if the greater, well, I believe the greater world of sports um, globally is aware of Tom Brady. Um, he's a little bit older than I am, but his story encapsulates like what I have always been about as far as interest and intellect with uh, perseverance, working hard, uh, undervalued gem, if you will, in a different sport. And um, they've, they've kind of tapered off now because it is a, a monster. But the National Football League was very, very good at telling stories of these players. There's probably hundreds of them. Um, so I got to a point probably, and I'll, I'll tell the super condensed version. I got to a point after I was done playing. Um, I was working in the business world where I just uh, I have an obsessive personality in the sense that if I'm interested or curious in something, I'm just going down that rabbit hole as long as it will go. And I'll keep tunneling and keep tunneling and keep tunneling. I don't desire to come out. I just keep going. And um, up until that time, I had never really been introduced to properly. This is 2010. I'd never been introduced properly to world football. And the World Cup was in uh, South Africa and it it just worked like from that moment on, I was infatuated with, OK, where are these players coming from uh, and why are they why are they on this stage? Um, didn't really know much about Champions League or I knew about club football. And quite honestly, I don't really like international football just as far as like an in interest. I'm aware of it, but I don't really care much forward as far as intricacies. Um, But once I started to go down the rabbit hole of, um, okay, these are national selection players. What clubs do they play for? Um, By the time COVID hit, I was just I had plenty of time, um, couldn't go anywhere. And I just said to myself, you know what? I I want to share what I find um, because I don't believe contrary to how it may seem or, or come off on online. I don't think I'm a. i am will ever be a good sporting director, I don't necessarily even want to be. Like, let me be clear. What what they do and the the pressure and the um, the challenge of the of the role is not something that I ever attest to uh, being able to uh, do. Um, however, what I keep finding and what has uh, fueled, um, I guess, uh, the awareness of my work in this field in, in this little niche is that there's so many resources of what works. Uh, My goal, my only goal is to keep sharing what works and to share those resources. Um, No paywall, no courses, no you have to have badges, none of that. Um, Not that it's not important, maybe, but like for me, I just want to share what I find um, as much as possible because I have a hunch that there's, uh, whether they're minorities or um, kids from Africa, Asia, South America, Latin America, or the States, I want more of constructive recruitment, constructive um, management to be shared openly, not just the trends, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, yeah, that that totally makes sense. That's actually interesting because um, you spoke about the 2010 uh, World Cup uh, kind of being your your first look into the the football world or at least what um, awoke your interest for kind of analyzing uh, football more profoundly than just the, the game and the players on the field. Uh, that's interesting because I think the 2010 World Cup was my first, first exposure to football as well. Um, I'm, I'm obviously a bit younger than you, and, and that was my first time um, consuming football and actually uh, being interested in in knowing the players and, and knowing the teams, etc., kind of kind of like yourself, and um, I, I did I did have a, a similar path, uh, although I wasn't as talented as you, and and never never got to quite a, a good level in sports. But I, I did play football for a bit over ten years, um, and and at that time, what I was mostly or only interested in was just playing and, and the game in itself and as soon as i stopped playing that's when the interest of everything around it kind of burst out and wanting to know the know the next big player before everyone or wanting to understand why this club's recruiting this player from this league or everything that goes around football in the in the, in the background um, kind of awoke once i got this disinterested from the actual game itself so yeah that that is quite um similar in that sense but from from what you said uh you, you said that you uh wanted to share what works um but obviously not everything works and there's a lot of things that uh, a lot of things that don't work um do you, how important do you do you feel and and do, do you do this do you do you, do you share what doesn't work as well and and how how important do you feel it's it's um it is to share both sides of the story kind of obviously sharing what works giving insight on what works and different methods that can be reapplied into different clubs even different sports or different industries is is great but i feel like showing what doesn't work and what hasn't worked is all, also just as important maybe right
1: uh yes but no <laughs> uh how how I see it, and this is not for everybody, um, is that I, and I have a heightened awareness of I'm gonna call it the fishbowl that um managers and directors are under, um, especially their families. So wives and kids. I'm married, I have children, um, I have uh a lot of friends who are in sports uh at the university level, the pro level here, professional level here in the States. And the abuse and the scrutiny and the criticism that their families take is not for everybody. Okay, not even for me. I'll just be candid. Like that's one of the reasons why I never went into coaching because I just didn't want to do, deal. I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to deal with that as a player. Um, you put enough. I put enough pressure on myself. I didn't want to um, do that as a coach uh, with kids and a wife and 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 moving potentially basically yearly. You know, I, I didn't want that after devoting better part of almost two decades to playing a sport. So to answer your question directly. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's benefit. Yes. There's benefit in looking at what doesn't work, but what you'll find. And if we're honest, the majority of what doesn't work is popular. It's negative. It's piling on. And whether it's the athletic four, four, two, I can't even think of all the ones off the top of my head, but Uh, I want to say Barney Ronet. I mean, go online, go online and and see who's not talking negatively about Manchester or sorry, go online and talk uh, and see who's talking positively about Manchester United or Chelsea, right? Like there's, there's plenty of negativity and and deconstructing of why X club isn't performing at X level. I don't need to do any of that. And I don't care. I really don't care. Uh, What I care about is, honestly, and objectively sharing what has repeatedly worked, because there will be enough, there will be enough Mauricio Pochettino stories. There will be enough Eric Ten Hag isn't good enough stories. There'll be enough Glazer out stories. There'll be enough state funded club stories. Let's be real, right? So for me, um, I, I understand that those are issues and those are current and they're important. They're important but I want to talk specifically and exclusively about what is working. And I want to talk about development. I want to talk about recruitment and I want to talk about more so going forward leadership because that's what matters in life, whether it's sports business or families, it's leadership It's not just data or playing styles or environment or heritage um culture is important, but it's about leadership. So for me, to answer your question again, yeah, I mean, there's benefit in talking about there's benefit in talking about what went wrong, you know? Um, there there's benefit in that and, and you can find that, you know, but if we're being honest, there's not enough po- I, I, I hate to even use the word positive. There's not enough constructive, okay, why does the Red Bull system work? Why? okay? Put aside your dis, distrust and dislike. For multi club ownership, put aside your dislike for the money. Even uh, you know Chelsea, like their development uh, protocol for their youth players is amazing. But everybody wants to throw stones because it's Chelsea and because there's money attached to it, whether it's Roman Abramovich or Todd Bowley and Silverlake coming in. Like, like let, let's not get caught up on labels and brands. Let's get caught up in what is actually working and why. When we do that, when I do that, time and time again, the same principles. The same patterns show themselves.
0: But maybe from failure comes success or something that works off the back of failure, right? If you look at, uh, for instance, FC Sochaux in France, who was one of the biggest clubs in France um, a few few tenths of years back, or maybe 10 or 15 years back. Um, And then they they slowly decreased to, to Ligue 2 and last season, they were um, a few details away from being um, being disbanded as a club, basically. Um, ended up just being relegated to the third league. Um, and they kind of built from that. And now they're third or fourth, I want to say, in the third league. So in that case, yeah, obviously, as you said, um, speaking of Manchester United and Chelsea and whatnot is... Um, super popular and over 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 said and over covered but maybe some of the smaller failure stories who which lead back to success stories i feel like those are the more interesting ones to to cover in terms of failures or like things that don't work at least
1: yes and i i think i think you're you're trying to to frame it in a way that is, is what I agree with. Yeah. I mean, there is, there is failure failure in the, in the right hands can be instructive and it could be a launch pad, right? Okay. It didn't work here or just pumping in money into our system, uh, into our club and, and paying all these bills didn't work, but we didn't have good leadership. Yes, that works. But, um, but, and I say, but very specifically, but the reason why, it's important to focus on what works positively is that time and this, I'm stealing this from Diego Simeone. Okay. Time is the architect of reality time. Like we can talk about money. We can talk about, uh, Ineos, we can talk about QSI. We can talk about DNCG. We can talk about all that stuff. Right. But over time we will see if it works or not. So that's also the reason why, um, I focus on what is working because if it's working, it tends to be more, I don't want to say long lasting, but um, I'll give you an example of some, I'll give you a negative example of focusing more so on the trends and focusing on what is working in the, in the interim, but then also being aware that like, Oh wow, not enough time has passed. Sven Mislintat went from, well, there was a gap, but he was at Arsenal And he went to, what was it, Stuttgart? And then he went to Ajax. What person who's in world football will say that um, he did a good job (laughs) at (laughs) Ajax? Nobody, nobody would say that, right? And the stories that come out are baffling, right? But I was, I mean, I was one of his, I'm going to say, I like what he was doing. And I like what he set up with his recruitment network and his data and his, his ability to parse out these undervalued gems. But even over 18 months, there was vast holes in how he operated. And that's not long enough. So I like if you look at what I've posted from 21 to now, I used to post about data, uh, player arbitrage, Um Recruiting players from undervalued markets specifically, and then being able to sell them on uh, playing style. I, and I still still do share on those things. But what seems to be very, very important over time, again, time is the architect of reality, is leadership. And when you can't lead, uh, you, you go into debt. You know, you have issues with you know keeping management. You have issues with continuity in a club. And as a former athlete myself, one of the most underrated aspects of performance is continuity. And you can't have continuity if you don't have good leadership. Yeah, that, that's
0: that's interesting, actually, um, kind of going back on what you said uh, that you, you touched on, both uh, Chelsea and Ajax, because um, those were kind of two, two of the clubs that I wanted to oppose um in terms of youth recruitment not not necessarily youth development because as you as you mentioned like chelsea for the past 20 or even more years have been um exemplary um in the way that they develop youth i think um but also um i think ever since blue Coke came in um their youth recruitment strategy um, has been, um, I want to say, kind of off the mark from my from my point of view, uh, and it, it's kind of interesting because I was gonna bring up Ajax um, as a as a good example, but now that you mention uh, Sven and what he did, uh, he kind of went down the same route as Chelsea are are going from from my point of view um what do you think do you think those two kind of they're both recent examples how do you think they 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 differ and how do you think they they're similar Ajax and Chelsea
1: oh it's interesting um those are two interesting clubs they're on the same spectrum to me and that spectrum is lack of fit and alignment so at the end of the day with all due respect to both clubs the 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 difference is money. The, the difference is always money. It's always money. And I know that the purists don't like to hear that, but it's, it's going to be money to a degree. It's always going to lead back to money. And I, I want to be nuanced uh, and objective, but I want to be clear. Um, when you don't have alignment, it doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter. It, it really doesn't matter. Um, I've shared about Michael Emanello, what he did when he was, uh, Abramovich's. is um, I'm going to use the word he, his title was technical director so he was more of a um, he, he fulfilled more of the talent throughout the club in a sense in preparation for the first team uh, it wasn't as much a sporting director first team focus uh, I mean yes that was a portion of the role but I mean even even 10 years ago but definitely 15 17 18 years ago football was different so um, transfers and, and squad building was different. Um, Chelsea has a rich history in the last two decades of uh, developing players. Um, Ajax has a – uh, maybe double that, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60. I mean, all they do is develop players, right? I mean, they're starting – they're starting yeah. – Jarrell Hato, what is he, 17? Um, and he's just another one. I mm-hmm. mean, they have one every three or four years. Years uh, Before that, it was uh, Matthijs De you know, I mean, like you, you they, they produce them on seemingly a uh, production line, assembly line. But when you don't have alignment, yeah. it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Uh, Cruyff uh, has talked about and I'm, I'm screwing up my dates here. So um, the within the last decade or so, there was a Velvet Revolution when they got back to their principles um, right before Eric Ten Hag um, was put in place there. And um, for the sake of not pandering and not going on a tangent. To answer your question, I, I, I think they're on the same spectrum. There is there is a tradition, there is a history, and there is talent in the pipeline, but when there is not alignment between the first team and the identity of the club, there's no way that you can consistently expect them to be able to connect the the youth set up in the academy. It's not that there's not talent there. It's not that there's not good um, um, leadership in certain places, it's just that there's there's a lack of alignment. And because of the the amount of money in both clubs or heritage, more so for Ajax. You have you you have poll, you have boards, you have directors, you have point of views, you know, you, you have these things that will never be public. So that's the one thing that I almost forgot to say. Everything I say about directors is about what I, I don't like to talk about with certainty, what they are doing, what they aren't doing, because I don't know. I don't know. But when you look at it forensically, you see, you see those patterns and you see those trends, right? Um, if you look at Ajax uh, end of last season, look at how many guys left. I mean, the only one I can think of clearly is Dusan Tadic. Why does Dusan Tadic leave? Yeah. He was reborn. He, I mean, he's, he is a legend at Ajax over less than, now. Nah, it's probably close to five years, right? Um, But he leaves because he doesn't like what he what is there anymore. Right. And that happens um, not because the the uh, there's not a a potential there, but there is a lack of alignment between the the culture, the identity of the club and the leadership, whether it's a sporting director, directors, board, chairman, owner. There's there's not that there to speak uh, specifically Mm -hmm. on Chelsea. Again, with all due respect. I mean, I don't know how you have, I, I don't know what they're doing. I'm not really going to critique that. What I'm going to say is that, uh, and I've said this for the past six to eight months, it's Chelsea, it's Chelsea. They have to win. What are they going to win? You know, and when you don't have the board, when you don't have ownership saying um, candidly up front, hey, we are building, not not rebuilding. You know, we're not. Um, we're, we're not top four material. When you don't come out and say that, You put a manager, an elite manager like Mauricio Pochettino, you put him in the crosshairs, maybe not in July, maybe not August, maybe not November, but from now till whenever it gets too hot, you've essentially taken a situation where they have talent, they have a good, an elite manager, but because there hasn't been alignment in the vision and the timeline of the project, it's just, it's just going to be a turnstile because they have to win, but they're not Aligned, I don't know if that makes sense, uh, but like that's yeah, yeah. what I see.
0: Yeah, it definitely makes sense, and I, I notice and I've noticed that alignment is probably your, your favorite word when describing when speaking about um, sporting directors, right? And I, I, I totally agree. Um, as as a, I'm personally an Olympic Lyonnais fan, um, and I think the biggest um, d- detail. Uh, of their downfall in recent years has been lack of alignment in terms of squad recruitment, in terms of manager recruitment, in terms of uh, even staff recruitment. Um, Huge lack of alignment, which has led to um, recruiting players for a specific manager who then leaves a month later and then recruiting another manager who has nothing to do with the previous one and kind of has to deal with the squad that he's been left with. Um, And yeah, I think that that's been their their major downfall. Um, And I think maybe like a counterexample of perhaps the most, from my point of view, at least the most perfect alignment in a football club would be recent years, Brighton, who have set up their um, recruitment processes in such a way that whenever either a manager or a player departs, they have the perfect replacement already within the the club if he's on loan or in the youth squad or sitting on the bench they always have the the perfect recruitment already within the club which allows them to kind of transition from season to season seamlessly um and yeah they they lose um um, potter and they sign um the Zerbi, who's just a kind of seems to be a better a better Potter, um, and that's kind of what they do with players as well. Just always seem to have a better version of the previous one. Um, but I think uh, alignment um, goes further than just managers and players, right? Uh, and and obviously you've been speaking of alignment a lot. Can could you? Define or go into detail into what good alignment is for a club.
1: Ooh, that's a uh, simple but very very uh, hard question. Um, in the sense that there's there's layers to it, right? Um, one of the one of my favorite clubs, just as far as alignment goes. Um, and, and they're they're never really popular. Um overly is athletic Bilbao um yeah i I mean it, it, alignment to me to be very very direct and simple alignment is this is who we say we are and this is what we do right that's that's almost too simple um but when you look at athletic Bilbao, they only recruit and develop players from the Basque region from I forget the exact titles in Spain. I need to look this up. Juvenil or Levante, whatever. I forget the, the exact label of, of under sevens or under five, whatever it is. So the first team. So there is not an athletic bill bowel player that you're going to see who does not have Basque roots. Think about that. For the past better part of what? Uh, a century? I mean, I'm, I'm rounding up, you know, ridiculously, but 60, 70, 80 years, that's what they've done that's alignment. Alignment is this is who we are and this is how we we do it. Um in more uh in vogue examples, I mean you talk about Brighton. Brighton also lost a sporting director. Like let's let's be <laughs> Dan Ashworth is is possibly possibly the most um prolific sporting director when it just comes to being able to recreate success. He did it at the FA, he did it at um I want to say Huddersfield, if that's correct. I I'm a little rusted, but I believe he did it at Huddersfield and then he went to Brighton and then now he's at Newcastle. Uh so when you, you look at Brighton, you, you get the sense that alignment is is definitely possible, but then they've kind of fallen out of vogue um in a sense of being overly popular. But Brentford's another great example. Yeah. Um, they use they use yeah. data, they use, they have a playing style. And they make calculated bets on players. Um, I, I, for one, uh, I mean, I have other examples for you, but uh, it's not it's not hard. It is a choice. It's a choice to be aligned. And that choice to be aligned, you you take the um, you take the risk, the short term risk of losing matches and losing um, talent to take on the, um, I'm going to call it the, the reward of allowing the compounding effect of being a, uh, aligned and being consolidated. And dare I use the word that's taboo in football, organized. Like when you organize what you do, that's what Brighton, Brighton all Brighton is. I mean, I'm joking, but all Brighton is, is a bureaucratic monster that it is, is a football club. Um, and that's, to me, it's a beautiful thing when done right. Uh, but there's there's so many clubs um, that if I get warmed up, I can just fire off. I mean, I'm thinking of B- Viborg, Lecce, AIK, Littlestrom. I mean, there's so many clubs mm-hmm. around, Slavia Prague. There's so many clubs.
0: Leverkusen, maybe?
1: Uh, yeah, Leverkusen. Leverkusen, I mean, uh, club de jour of the, of the moment, but 100% uh, Leverkusen, right? Yeah. I mean, if I if I went through every country, there's two or three clubs for the most part. Um, that are aligned and alignment is not hard or easy. It's a choice. It is a choice. And that is where, um, again, you you know, it's a choice. I mean, I think of one of the bigger clubs that is aligned. um, There's two clubs that nobody wants to talk about or give them credit for being aligned other than did they win or did they lose? And Real Madrid, their, their alignment from top to bottom is... (laughs) <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think of a word a, a backhanded compliment it's great you know but they're at the super deep end of the financial pool right and they yeah. do things that aren't necessarily yeah Super League et etc that, that's not cool right but that, but they are aligned okay they're aligned they go after Vinicius they go after Fede Valverde they go after um, uh, I won't say his name in Paris you know but like they, they go after Jude Bellingham they get those <laughs> talents right uh, yeah, and then they let other talents leave, but then another one in the UK is Arsenal. Their their um their youth setup, but then also their I'm going to call it their identity, is very much aligned since Arteta has been there. Okay, and those are things that. Again, you're not always going to be Champions League. You're not always going to be uh, league winners, domestic cup champ. You know, you're not always going to do those things. But to uh, reorient the ship, you have to choose. And if you choose alignment, you you you're choosing winning over the long term versus saying, "Hey, uh, let's get X Y Z player and manager, and let's see what happens." So a good case study for this in the next, I'm say. Season or two will be Aston Villa, okay? They got Unai Emery, which is obviously a masterstroke. but then they brought in Manchi on top of who, are they, who, uh, who they already have, Videgani uh, and, and Emery set up. If they're truly aligned, they will be a monster. They can essentially repeat what Newcastle did, but maybe with more stability. I don't know if that's a fair word to say, but time. Time is so important because alignment – compounds resources and it compounds good decision-making if you don't have alignment um yeah you can get away with signing um i can't think of a top player off of my off the top of my you can get away with signing oh, same man you know as a striker and he'll get you 30 goals and, and you know and 15 assists but then what right look at napoli they're they're strong yeah. they won the league right but they're not they're top heavy their owner Aurelio De Laurentiis runs everything. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. You know, let me be clear. That's not necessarily a bad thing. But how hard is it to replace a Spalletti?
0: Yeah, especially by uh, the 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 man they chose to replace I them him with.
1: I, I mean, anybody. I, I mean, Rudy Garcia when he was at Lille with Eden Hazard and Jervinho and, and uh, Musa so and. Um, um, Man, those were the good old days, uh, right? That that was a yeah. different time in football. But when – and I don't like to be overly critical, but when I saw that he signed for Napoli, I was like, wow, this should be interesting uh, because I don't see how that works long term.
0: Yeah, as, as someone who regularly exchanges with the Lyon community, uh, who was his – Last club before he left to um, Saudi Arabia, I believe. Um, yeah, everyone, everyone was also shocked on that move. Um, but yeah, hasn't hasn't gone uh, extremely well for him. But I, I did want to touch back on what you were saying about Brighton um, and that them becoming a popular club led to maybe a decree a decrease in alignment if I understood you correctly um, is is changing dimensions as a club an obstacle to respecting or staying aligned um, and if so how do you how do you go like ence for example how do you go from being a, a league league 2 regular to being a Champions League um, a club competing for the Champions League spots every season. How do you go from those two um, statuses and remain aligned?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, uh, I don't recall how I said it, but my, my point wasn't to say that um, they decreased in alignment. It's just more so that they've lost talent. You lose... <laughs> Uh, uh Dan Ashworth you you lose uh grand potter you lose uh, I mean I'm not even going to try to to rattle off player names you lose players you lose um uh, in the business world they call it uh, intellectual ip so you you're losing intellectual property that the club was able to leverage so when you lose that how do you replace it um so uh, to, to go back to a previous question of why or the first question, why I'm interested in directors, the directors have to be the first lieutenant of the club. When I say the club, I mean more so the ownership board, whatever the, the hierarchy is in that specific club, because that club, if you do well, I mean, let me, let me start over. The biggest threat to any football club is success. Success, because if you do well. You, the other clubs, the bigger clubs who have funding, who have um, status, are going to come and take a piece of that. So with Brighton, um, Tony Bloom is the owner and he's done a great job. But Paul Barber is his number one lieutenant. Paul Barber makes sure. Okay, you want Moises Caicedo? One, I mean, I don't remember the recall the exact number. One hundred twenty million sterling. Nothing less. Right and when you when you have a personality, a leader who has a standard and you can't go unless X happens, you like I said, you know you 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 are okay to lose in the short term. You're okay to have Moises Kai said oh, not be called up for a game because you know that the asset of him, but more so, and this is where I have to say you know specifically and and clearly, any player, manager, director, any any person or resource in the club is an asset. Singular. The club is the asset. The club is the 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 machine. Dare I say the golden goose? So anything that affects that affects the club. To quote Marcus Aurelius, and I'll butcher the quote, but anything that harms the hive harms the bees. So how they handle how he handles Moisés Caicedo. How he handles Graham Potter, how he handles, um, you know, Dan Ashworth leaving, going on Garden League for the better part of like six months, (laughs) you know, how he handles that, how they handle that as a club is uh, instructive for everybody else who will be in that position. So my point earlier wasn't to say that um, Brighton has gotten less aligned. No, 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 no. Mm -hmm. What I'm saying is that anytime you take talent away from a club, or a business or even a family anytime you lose a family member it's things have to uh, shift. things have to move around there has to be a new leadership voice I mean I, I think you're old enough to remember Michael Jordan right yeah yeah yeah. they did not they haven't won since he left right and even even Scottie Pippen who um, was there directly after he left um, was not happy when they didn't call a play for him to win the game right so that's not to say that you know, and same same people were still there, other than Michael Jordan. So, mm-hmm. anytime you lose talent, you have to, you either have to replace that talent as much as you can, one for one, or you had to have a cultural and an and an organizational excellence to where the standard will be uh, reloaded, and that's what you see at Brighton. That's what you see at Brentford. That's what you see at Red Bull Leipzig, Red Bull Salzburg. That's what you see at Bayer Leverkusen, right? That's what you see, um, well, I was going to say AC Milan, but that's a whole different conversation. But like, you see it at the clubs that have consistent culture and consistent leadership. They, they may dip. They may dip for a, a, a season, half a season, but they reload, Right?
0: Yeah, yeah, that totally makes sense. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, di- I did want to, r- r- to keep my previous question um, about, yeah, g- um, going, making the next step as a club um, and upgrading on your status. Um, and yeah, c- kind of um, when you're not as well, uh, I guess, oiled as a Brighton, for example. How, yeah, as a, as I use the example of excellence, how do you how do you change statuses and and remain aligned?
1: Uh, it's not a it's not a popular answer, but time you you have to consistently stack good decision making, right? And um, I'll try my best to re- recall the tweet. Um, I, I made it. In, I condensed it into a tweet. But if you want if you want to climb the ladder you have to have good leadership. So good leadership ironically starts with having an outline of who you want to be. So um, if you're a town, if you're a town that's um, that is in a mining community, you probably need to play in a way that is tough. Right. I'll I'll use a crazy example. Like um, uh, what is it? Um, I'm going to say FC, FC Shakhtar, but that's not a great example. Like I think of RC, uh, what is it? Um, no, you're, yeah, you're right, uh, Lons. Like, I, I mean, uh, Frank case uh, and just what they're doing and what their their community is about is reflected in maybe not completely in how they play, but when you have an idea of how your playing style should potentially look like, that allows you to condense the, the managers that you go after and the playing style that they have. Um, to me, the sporting director his most important hire, his Im- most important decision is a manager. hundred percent. I mean, yes, in some clubs like Napoli referenced earlier, sporting director doesn't choose that. The owner chooses that. Right. I mean, and, and again, those are case by case scenarios, but your manager has to be a, there has to be a bridge from what you see the club playing as, as a, as a sporting director to the manager. And there has to be no barriers, So that manager has to understand how um, the club needs to play to reflect their supporters. Um, So that, that's the first part. And the second part is, is you have to define, you know, I'm, I'm staying high level because I, I am not a tactical and I'm not trying to diminish or raise the importance of tactics. Okay. But you have to define roles on the pitch. You have to define who does what in your playing style, because, at the end of the day, we can talk about, you know, um, tiki-taka. We can talk about gag pressing. We, we can talk about all those things. But guess what? You have to be able to replace players and reload players. And if you, if you think that, and I'm going to use a crazy example, okay, but if you think Erling Holland is similar to Kylian Mbappe just because of how many goals they scored, you're in for a world of horror, hurt when you have to go replace said player because they're different. Mm-hmm. They play differently. So you have to be able to define the roles on the pitch. And I'm saying this from a uh, director's point of view, specifically for recruitment. The The manager, let the manager handle, you know, playing styles and, and all that other stuff. So once you hire a manager and, well, sorry, once you define your playing style and you you hire a manager who um, is able to uh, basically bring that into real life, then you can recruit to it. And then you, you have to be patient, but also very rigid in the standard that you are uh, envisioning. And, and that's where that's where a lot of the, the clubs and the directors fall by the wayside. And it's not because they're not good enough. It's just that they don't have enough time. I, I would say the number one fear for any director, especially a manager, but specifically for directors, is not being given enough time.
0: Mm. Yeah. That, that totally makes sense. And you speak, you speak a lot about time. And someone who's been doing it for a long time is a man in Italy called Pantaleo Corvini, who's the current uh, technical director at uh, Lecce in Serie A uh, with uh, Stefano Tranchera as kind of his understudy. Um, in the role of the actual sporting director, but I think I think Corvini is still the one who has his hands on everything. Um, and and yeah, Cor- Corvini, um, has had, uh, at his time in Lecce, has had a very, um, youth-oriented transfer strategy. I want to say, um, I-, I know that he has a, a large network of. Uh, scouts and um, people kind of in that role of scouting or or analysts etc. who are kind of all over the place, and you see that um, in the club's recruitment uh, last season, for example, they recruited uh, at last summer. Sorry, they recruited Patrick Dorgu from um, Nordjylland after he he had spent a, a year on loan there, so. Um, one coming in from Denmark, they had signed They signed Mohamed Kaba from uh, Valenciennes in Ligue 2. And they signed Nikola Kristović. Uh, I, I probably butchered his name. So a Serbian striker from uh, Dunajska Strada, a club in Slovakia. So all these players coming from completely different um, areas and leagues and clubs. Um, which kind of demonstrates um, his whole networking quality as a as a in networking, I guess. Um, having having studied Corvini, how what, what what would you say have been his the keys to his success in terms of recruitment?
1: Yeah, I mean it, it's a it's a layered question. Over wow, wow. Uh... I think it's over 40 years of experience for him. Um, yeah. But, and I'll be sharing more about it going forward um, online, but Pantaleo Corvino is is very adamant on always getting people to understand, supporters to understand that the path dictates the decisions. So um, I, I don't, I'm going to butcher his his full name, but the president, the owner of the club is Stitchy. And when he Mm. purchased the club uh, pre-COVID, I mean, the club is bordering on uh, bankruptcy, insolvency. So they don't have money. They don't have money. Right. So how do you have a football club and you don't have money? How do you have a winning club or at least a uh, let's call it ascending club? You have to get players. You you, you have like so to me, going back to um, again, to answer that first question in a different way. What I've found across all sports, all team sports, is that you cannot win without talent. It always goes back to the players. I can talk about directors all day. I can talk about Jose Mourinho. I can talk about Sir Alex Ferguson. I can talk about Monchi. I can talk about Ralph Ragnick. I can talk about Dan Ashworth. The bottom line is, if you do not have the ability to find talent, you will not be in that role for long. It's just a matter of time, right? Uh, So... Pantaleo Corvino, uh, what what he had, what he has been. I don't want to say shackled because he's he's proven that you don't need to be shackled or you don't have to see it as a shackle. He constantly says the path dictates my decisions, but also we have an idea, and the idea is simple: how do we not go into debt getting a club that is decent? Well, guess what. They can't do it with local players because local, like Italian players, cost too much. So they go around the—I'm not going to say the globe—but they go around Europe, Scandinavia, the Balkans, um, uh, Serbia, uh, Slovenia, Slovakia, Hungary. They get players that others have said, "Oh, well, he he might be okay. He might be good." And they put them in. And I don't know if you've—I don't I haven't really said much about it other than maybe culture. But when you have an environment of development, you are able to take a player that doesn't have all of the tools ready. Um, like uh, Dorjeles was at, um, or Dorgu, I forget, um, was at um, Northland. Yeah. N- 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 is a great club. Great club. I've written extensively about Northland. Mm-hmm. But only so many prospects can play, right? And sometimes a change of scenery and the license to go forward and to honestly seize an opportunity. Is all some players need. Um, uh, Pantaleo Corvino, to me, it, he he embodies what he's doing at Lecce. Embodies that it can be done anywhere. When I say it, I mean having an identity of taking. I mean, it helps me to say undervalued talents, but but uh, he has an identity that Lecce has an identity of taking lesser known talents and being able to put them in an environment where they attract and they compound in value. So that within, I mean, I'm not going to say their playing style is attractive. It works. It's good enough. And if you watch them play, I watched them um, against their, um, uh, they played against Fiorentina, I believe, within the last two weeks. And they were down 2-1 up until the last 10 minutes. But then those players, whether it's Strafessa or Piccoli or Dorjalis they they show up and they made a play. They had a moment. So Corvino, um, Corvino is the um, the sporting director, and Stefano Trincera is the technical director. Um, I I don't think titles matter uh, in a sense. Yeah. In a sense. I, I think what really matters is the previous question, previous point. There is a line between the president, there's a line between Corvino, and there's a line between Trincara. And then the um, the first team manager Versa is aligned as well because he's a former player. Hmm. He played at Lecce. And the part that is not talked about because it's not as I don't know, uh, it, it's not headline worthy, is that their Primavera, their youth setup, is one of the best yeah. in Italy. And yeah, they won last season, I think. Yeah, and that their their youth setup is not filled with Italian kids, right? And that hmm. on one hand is disruptive. But if you read, and that's what I do, I read through interviews and press conferences and um, mixed zone um, commentary from managers and directors and players every day. And what you read Corvino's response is, is that, look, like, I don't have the money to pay for the best kid in Rome. We're not a top five or six Italian club. Like, I have to go to where the talents are in our budget. So... I hope I'm answering your question. I don't, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of, uh, no, uh you are, at you are. the moment, but like it's, it's proof that it can be done anywhere. And another example really quickly is V Borg, V in Denmark, um, two, what, two seasons ago, maybe two and a half seasons ago, their director was Jesper Fredberg. He's now at RC Anderlecht. They do something similar, right? Uh, I mean, it, it's really about having an alignment between the key decision makers at the club, how do we consistently get talents in the same way? You're not always going to have the opportunity like SK Byrne in Norway to develop Erling Holland and get the fees, you know, get the sell-on clauses, right? But how can you do it at a high level, volume-wise, to where the majority of the players and the managers to a certain degree who come through your setup improve? Not everybody's going to be Chelsea or Arsenal or Real Madrid or Barcelona or even Bayer Leverkusen. But when players improve in your setup, you give yourself a fighting chance to benefit if there is a sale. But more so, you, uh, you strengthen the, the culture and the environment in that club for success. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, and I think a lot
0: of Italian clubs um i think i think serie a is maybe the the best league to kind of exemplify what you've just said i feel like i feel like it's a league where the clubs have maybe the strongest identities and where they're able to best um, replicate replicate those identities into their alignment i don't know what you think about that i know you said that in the past that um Serie A was your favorite league is that is that part of the reason why
1: uh no i syria is the most nostalgic league for me because even as a kid um well okay you're forcing me to go back to uh 2010 so 2010 um even here in the States, everybody knew who Gianluigi Buffon was, right? Or is. Um, but he didn't play because he had some issue with his back. So he didn't play the whole entire tournament, right? Mm. Um, so they're playing uh, – man, I always mess this up. Uh, I, I believe they're playing Slovakia, okay? And they they just had a crap tournament. Italy did, okay? Uh, but then uh, Fabio Quagliarella, who – he he's my favorite player, Um And if you ever um, look at his life story, especially uh, the last 10, 15 years of his career, like, again, this is why and I get goosebumps. This is why I don't talk about negative stuff, because we don't know what these people are going through. Um, And Fabio Collier had a a guy in his neighborhood basically extort and blackmail him on child pornography uh, that, that was completely unfounded, completely fake. So when I share about what works, I'm also actively trying to block out the negative nonsense that is trying to destroy uh, people who are a part of a game, you know? So that's my public service announcement. But that being said, um, uh, Fabio Caliarelli Car- scores this goal. It's like a it's like a dead leaf chip from about 30 meters out. And Jan Muka, the, goal, the goalie, is trying to save it in. And we're talking fingertips, centimeters away. He can't touch it, and the ball goes in. And I just remember Fabio Coalier going like this. And in my mind, I get goosebumps every time I mm. remember it. In my mind, I said to myself, whoa. And at the time, that was, that was the beginning of the end of the number nines in Italy, right? Because you had Antonio Di Natale. Um, you had uh, Francesco Totti was still playing. Like those, those, those scores, those, those magical, legendary, uh, they call in the bandieri like the the team captains who would score the goals, the important goals. That was the beginning of the end of that era. So nostalgically, I really like Serie A. Like I could watch Serie A every, I could watch, I I, sometimes I do, I I, I can watch every single match uh, of a a given weekend. But to your more specific point, as far as alignment, Serie A is tricky, right? Because there's, you, you have such a – this is my opinion. Culturally, they're so focused on uh, – to, to use my weak Italian, Salvesa. They're so, they're so focused on not being relegated. Salvation. Mm-hmm. They're so focused yeah. on not being relegated that there's only a few teams that are brave. And how – when I say brave, respectfully, okay? Like, there's only a few teams that are brave in how they build their squads. And those teams I can count on my hand. Sassuolo, Empoli, um, obviously Lecce now. but Bologna, maybe? What's that? Bologna? Uh, maybe. I hesitate more so because they're funded. Like, you know, like they, they have outside funding. They're not a traditional, mm-hmm. I'm going to say local domestic club anymore. So yeah, yeah. I don't disagree with you, but they they have a they have an asterisk. So and I Verona maybe, I think I, I, I kind of
0: recently this this winter I they, they had a very interesting window. I feel like they're kind of making that step up into the the quality of club that you're speaking about.
1: Yeah, yeah, and, and the old, old classic is Udinese. They recruit mm-hmm. and they get they they get certain ta- <clears throat> excuse me they get a, uh, certain talents in before other. Clubs are even aware of a player's um, uh, ceiling. And again, I don't think that's good or it's bad. There's no criticism. There's no constructive criticism in anything I'm saying. It's just more so to say it's just tricky because culturally that's how it is um, in Italy, at least from my point of view. If you want to talk about alignment and you want to talk about um, clubs recruiting to their identity – it's hard because I don't know if there's a, a league that does that re- regularly. Maybe top five, you would say Germany, the Bundesliga. But then again, mm-hmm. it's it's kind of, yeah, I mean, I, I think the whole league plays a, the same way to a degree, if we're being honest, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah I that mean, that, that's make, part of the reason why, it. um, and it's another conversation that is definitely a rabble, but that's kind of reason why, like, Javi uh, Alonso with Bayer Leverkusen, this is the year. They 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 win it this year and then maybe they continue on and they do um, damage in Europe um, and domestically through next season. But then the rest of the league will catch up, right? Because the rest of the league will stop being, um, dare I say, Ralph fragment clones. Which I'm a Ralph fragment guy, but like everybody is a copycat. They will come they will come up and and catch um, the trendsetter. So. It's tricky. I, I get what you're saying. I, I think there is merit to what you're saying. It's just really, really hard to... You have to look back transfer windows and recruitments, and managers, and there has to be continuity to even begin to make a, an evaluation, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, yeah, it does. Um, yeah, so so we we spoke about Corvino, because I, I, I think I called him Corvini uh, by mistake, Corvino, um, and his... Strategy of looking ahead of Italy because the the best Italian youngsters are too expensive. So looking looking to um, smaller leagues for recruitment, uh, like League Two, like uh, Scandinavia. Um, something that I've noticed recently is that those leagues, maybe not League Two, because clubs have been recruiting in League Two for a while, but Scandinavia. Um, Specifically, Eredivisie, even the, the second tier of Dutch football, Belgium uh, leagues like that, which used to be like the the small leagues where you you, you could get the best finds for the the lowest prices, um, because obviously you're you're undervalued, right? So you're looking for undervalued players. The problem is that I feel like more and more those leagues, which used to be the 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 good deal Haven, I guess, are becoming um, more and more followed and, and monitored because of the rise of data and just it being easier to monitor huge amounts of players in, in remote areas, um, remote league, sorry. Um, so yeah, uh, these pro league, Eredivisie, Scandinavian league players are leaving for like bigger and bigger um, sums of money. I think uh, Arthur Vermiren, for example, left Athletic- to Atletico for thirty million. I want to say maybe South a bit more, a bit or less. less. Sounds about right. Um, now, and we talked about the Balkans also with um, Lecce. F- from your point of view, what is the where should where where should we look now? What is um, from your experience? Because I, I know on top of researching um sporting directors and 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 organizations uh, you also enjoy monitoring various leagues various players what is in your opinion that that next league who which will or those that next area which is going to be going to start being monitored by everyone the next the next big talent um source i guess
1: you're not gonna like my answer what is it? Everybody already knows all those leagues. I mean, it, it, second, third tier. It, 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 it's what I've seen, and I've seen this over. Let's not take 2020 into account because that was co Let's not. Let's take out 21. I'm sorry, 20 and 21. So um, that's a, a full season, but the ends and the beginnings of two seasons. So that's roughly. So 1920. Let's take that out. Um, as far as when I was paying attention, let's take out 20 through 21. Okay. And then Mm -hmm. let's take out, um, let's just say, let's just take out those, that part season and a half, roughly what I've seen for tracking talent and, and where it comes from, dare I say pathways is that it's not about where they are. It's about the bravery of the evaluator. When you have bravery you're, like every they're already everywhere everybody has white scout I mean relatively speaking right like it's yeah. not hard to to parse apart data and to see oh wow this kid scored 17 goals in Morocco <laughs> that's not that's not the issue that's not the issue so um without giving away my secrets to a certain degree it's not it's not about market it's about it's about bravery so let me give you two. If I can think of the third one, a good third one, I'll, I'll give you three. Let me give you two examples. So the first one is um, Accor Adams. He's at Montpellier in France right yeah. now. Um, I do. I, I, I would never call myself a scout. Contrary to popular whatever, I, I am not scouting player. I do not have the rigor or, quite honestly, the time to do it at a level that those who are scouts do. So I don't ever want to disrespect them or put myself in that category. I screen players. Okay. I screen players. And when you screen players, you kind of give yourself a six to 18 month window of, in my opinion, how soon are they going to start seeing that ceiling? Maybe not getting there, but how are they going to see that ceiling? Akor Adams, um, I forget the club in Nigeria he came from. Um, But he's at Littlestrom. And Simon Mesfin at Littlestrom is one of the best sporting directors in Scandinavia um, by far. I would say he's top five. You look at Accor Adams' numbers, his underlying data is past goal scored. And you say, hmm, there's something there. And He's what, 21, 22 at the time. There's something there. I follow him, I track him, and I believe that he is, I believe at the time, so this was the end of 22, I believe that he I believe that he was the best center forward in Scandinavia. When I say Scandinavia, I'm leaving out Iceland, not because Iceland isn't good, I'm just saying it's Denmark, Sweden, and Norway just, Norway. just for simplicity, you know, I'm leaving out Iceland uh, strategically here. And I remember the Faroe Islands. Yeah, Faroe Islands as well. Finland too. <laughs> right, Finland too. Yeah. If you want to get crazy, you can throw in Lithuania. No, I'm kidding. But uh, <laughs> um, Which, you know, to answer your question, I would watch Lithuania. Yeah. Not not because of, you know, the league is on the ascendancy, but when you look at, say, like Zalgiris, where are they bringing in players? And I forget there's another club. It's too early in the day right now, but there's another club in that league that is recruiting talent. And you're like, how did they get this player? Um, You know, like that. that's not... Somebody is sleeping at the wheel in the bigger Scandinavian um, port of call. But anyways, um, FC Copenhagen is probably the best club in Scandinavia. Probably. Has the most money, has the most tradition, most history. Yes, um, you know, Malmo and uh, Molde and maybe even uh, Bodo Glimp can begin to be in that conversation. But historically, over the past 20 plus years, it's FC Copenhagen. Um, I rest my case. Um, they had purchased Andreas Cornelius or whoever. It doesn't matter. Um, all these guys are, as far as classic number nine, in my opinion, they were not on the level of core Adams. And I shared online, and you can you look for it; it's there. I shared online. core Adams can replace anybody in Scandinavia. But the time, I believe his name is is it um, Alfredo Morelos was at Rangers. Um, yeah, and I thought. Accor Adams would have been a perfect replacement for Morelos. Perfect, right? And I had local uh, Danish uh, Twitter people saying that, um, you know, uh, Core Adams is not good enough. He's injury prone. He's too inconsistent, this, that, and the other. He can't play for a Scandinavian top club. And pride. I have pride. I have a lot of pride. Um, I have a very healthy ego and opinion of myself. I said, that's not right. Like, I'm going to bookmark this tweet and i will wait for my redemption so i say that and i'm 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 joking i'm 100% joking but when he signs when i see that he's about to sign for montpellier top 5 league in france uh, that was the following summer so summer of 20 this past summer summer of 23 yeah that is proof that if you're a brave if you're a Littlestrom and you see whether it's a talent from a smaller club in africa or a Scandinavian club that you see—it's at the second, third, or second or third tier—or a player, a youth prospect on a free. If you are brave, and more importantly, you have an environment and a conversation with that prospect where they can grow, you can win. So the the reverse side of the story, second story I have for you, is Gift Orban. He tore up the second tier in Norway, and I said to myself, because he was 18, 19 at the time, like ah. I, I, fell, I fell for my own, um, uh, let's just say, uh, blind spots. Second tier, Norway, he can't be that good. He can't be that good that young, right? He can't be that good that young. And then Gantt signs him, and he does the same thing, right? So, yeah. so what, what I've learned is that it's not about markets. It's about being brave and having, having a, I'm going to call it a, a service, a service-minded uh, approach to developing players. One of the key things that I've gleaned from Ralph Ragnick is that the clubs that do well in player development take care of the person and the player. They, 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 they mm-hmm. know what food that player likes. They know how that player wants to dress. They know how that player wants to have his hair cut. They have yep. places that, they have people, specific people. Let's call them li- liaisons, player care, what have you. They have people that take care of the player past help them find an apartment. Exactly. So um, I can't think of another, the third story off the top of my head, but um, I, I I would say that at the end of the day, once you get past markets, you know, um, you you always want to make sure that you have an idea of language and cultural um, assessment, because the Mm -hmm. market or the league to to recruit in is dependent on which club you're recruiting for, right? It's one thing for, and I'm going to make a a completely wild uh, connection here, but it's one thing for Montpelier to recruit um, in South America, right? Like Costa Rica or Venezuela. That's one, that's, that's, I mean, do you have the infrastructure for that? Probably not, right? I mean, just being fair. But if, Real Madrid is doing that or Lorient is doing that or take uh, Real Madrid out. If R.C. Longs is doing that or OG Nice or Nice is doing that, you they might be onto something. So I hope I hope that's not too much of a cop out on your question, but I, I, I see bravery as being being the thing. Like, that's why con- uh, Pontaleo Corvino and Lecce are doing well. It's not so much that they're better than anybody. It's just more so, hey, here's our project. We think that you can amplify your value in our project and we we can all but guarantee you're going to get better as a player. That's what players need. They don't necessarily need to be paid more or go to Champions League, at some depending on where they are in their career, if that makes sense. You, you say it's not
0: about uh, markets and then the two examples you chose were two Nigerian strikers who joined the Norwegian second tier and then went up to the first tier, right? So I, I see what you're saying, but I feel like it still kind of depends on specific leagues and countries and the way that they de- develop local talent, right? You, you, can't, you can't necessarily find a player if he's not um, being pushed forward, at least, um, to so that he can be scouted, or so that he's in the good conditions to perform right. Like when you look at um, a country like China, for example, um, in my eyes, there's no reason that China aren't producing um, world class, or at least. Very promising players, right? Especially in the recent years, where they have invested a lot in infrastructure infrastructure, sorry, and academies. So, what, what 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 if it's not about markets? Then what is the reason that um, so many Nigerian youngsters have been rising to the top recently in the past two three seasons, while no. Chinese player, or that's only example, but let's say Georgia also. A lot of Georgian player, Georgian players have burst out onto the scene recently. Why have no well you, you mentioned Lithuania? Why have no Lithuanian players been bursting out onto the, the top tiers of football in the past few seasons if it's not about markets?
1: It's a good question. It to me, for me, my point of view, it's about time and it's about math. So um, the Super Bowl American football that was played two days ago. I would say four of their and I didn't watch the whole game like from beginning to end, but I watched the majority of the game. I would say they the NFL lost money instead instead of having a slot where a sponsor or a vendor could have paid to advertise the NFL lost money by having their own commercial and their own commercial was based on what. NFL development. They had an African kid. I think he was from Ghana, Accra, Ghana. Who they had Osi Umanura, who is I thought Osi was Nigerian, but I might be wrong. Whatever. Um, they had him at a camp where he could learn how to play football. When you don't develop players, and you don't when when you don't have a, a heart or a um, emphasis on development, there is no way that you can really expect your grain, grain your game or your dare I say your brand to grow. So. I'm going to say this, it might be inflammatory, but it, it is what it is. When I look at Asia, so Saudi Arabia or the Middle East, China, to a certain degree, I think South Korea and um, Japan are different uh, for what I've seen. Um, there is such an emphasis on growing the game fast that there is no emphasis on developing the, I'm going to call it the culture of the game. And shocker, I see the same thing in the United States where we want, because we have, such, yeah. we have such a high amount of people and we have so many talented players, blah, 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 blah. Well, guess what? Why is Uruguay so good at soccer? Or, sorry, football? It's cultural. It is literally culture. Same thing with Croatia. It's cultural. And you can develop players all you want, but you, ha- I'm sorry, you can pump in money all you want, but you have to make players better. You have to take that 8-year-old and you have to give him a tangible pathway to be in his um, his hometown club starting five, or starting lineup, starting 11. If you can't do that, then it doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how many people you have. So, yes, I said it's not about markets, and I don't, I don't think it's really about markets. It's about what that club has infrastructurally to um, develop players. I've talked to chief scouts and sporting directors where they have told me explicitly they cannot recruit. They do not recruit certain areas of the globe because culturally there is a disconnect. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the truth. I mean, it's, it's the truth, right? So when you look at time and well, I, I said time part, so you have to have a heart or an emphasis on development over. And I say time, I don't mean two or three seasons. I mean, decades, decades, like 20, 30, 40 years. Why are why are the Netherlands so good? Technically, it's in their DNA. <laughs> like 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 that's who they are. Like that's how they train up their players. But the other side of it mm-hmm. is quite frankly math. I mean, I didn't answer your question directly because I, I, I kind of knew where you're going. But if you want the the real answer, the, the the truthful answer, the undeveloped market that everybody needs to focus on is Africa. And that's not even fair because there's fifty, there's probably seventy five different markets in Africa alone. And yeah, Nigeria, you have 50 million people there. Yeah, you're going to have multiple strikers, multiple strikers, multiple players come from Nigeria out of the woodworks because there's too many people in a country who loves football too much and they have enough soccer, football resources to where they're just going to keep coming out, right? So if you have the, the math part of it where you have demographic density, you have numbers, where's the pathway? Where is the pathway? And that is something that hopefully we'll see over the next, again, 10, 20, 30 years be more defined. But what I focus on now, if you look at what I used to post about and what I post about now, I post less on tactical things or recruitment focused solely things, not because they're not important, but what's more important is the leader, is the decision maker. What, the reason why I love Pantaleo Corvino so much as far as like as a case study is that he tells you why he's telling you, I can't go into debt. I can't sign Zlatan Ibrahimovic's son. I can't. He costs too much. So I'm going to take a plane and I'm going to go to Sweden and I'm going to go look at their fifth tier and get 16 year olds there because I know that apples to apples, I can get something close to helping us in a season and a half. That is not an undeveloped or undervalued market. That is a leader who can see into the future. In my opinion, the best athletes in sports, especially team sports, are the ones who can anticipate what is going to happen next. The best directors, the best managers are the same. They see where the ball is going. They see where the game is going, and they're able to load their decision making in that direction. If you can't do that over the long term, then you're you're stuck with what you can um, afford, literally to get by.
0: Yeah, and speaking of speaking of that vision, uh, and speaking of Africa, also, um, kind of two examples which come to mind are the way that Nordjylland are, are working with the Right to Dream Academy, and the way that uh, FCMS in France are working with. Generation Foot, the Senegalese Academy, um, and yeah, although like I feel like the the African markets and all the markets within it uh, have always been like uh, a major uh, area to scout talent. Um, the way that those two clubs are working, and also a few others, are working in establishing that connection. Cont- continues to develop that alignment further than just the club in itself they 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 prolong that alignment into a whole other club and the players who are coming up through right to dream or generation foot already have the values and the the way of playing which suits those club those european clubs so yeah, that, that's, that's very interesting. Um, and I, I feel like although the, the first examples um, are kind of coming from uh, Africa, although there have been like some Bel- um, Union saint Gilloise with um, Brighton, the, the Belgium link, but I, I feel like more and more, the, more and more those links will be formed even with European countries such as like Slovenia, Georgia, countries like that um these links between clubs and and countries will be formed and and kind of uh, yeah as i said prolong that alignment uh, further than just the club within itself um but yeah to, to kind of wrap this up um i did want to ask you as obviously you've uh, you've demonstrated your elite <laughs> talent identification skills in 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 seeing the the potential in Accor Adams, um, are there are there any players at the moment undervalued players who you'd like to mention who in who you see the same type of potential as Acor Adams?
1: Uh, I mean, again, forgive me. Let me let me scroll through what um what I've shared more recently. But there's always. I was I was talking with a gentleman who works in football, and I I made the comment that there's always a there's always a next Wunderkind. There's gonna be another Mbappe. Yeah. There's gonna be another uh, Erling Haaland. Um, we don't like hearing that in the sense that um, you know they're special, but over the course of time, and I, I haven't even been following football that long. What Messi and Ronaldo have done is insane, insane. I, I mean, it's one of the f- It's one of the few times you can say that I'm glad that the game and technology has advanced this far uh, simply because can you imagine having, I mean, again, some of these are personal choices. Well, a lot of these are personal choices. Can you imagine watching Cruyff or Maradona or Pele play for almost 20 years? Like at club level, not at World Cups, not every four years, right? Like we get to see those guys. uh, We we got to see Ronaldo and Messi year round, you know, for the most part Um, depending on the year, so um, there's always going to be a next one. But what what I've really I don't I don't know how to say this in a, in a compact way. What I've really started to really appreciate is when you watch a lot of the smaller leagues. And I say smaller just as far as market and um, you know uh, the revenue that's in those leagues, the money that's in those leagues. You start to see bits and pieces of players or, or talents from years past. Right. So I was bored and I'm, I'm stalling. So forgive me, <laughs> forgive <laughs> me for going down this route, but it'll help set up the person that I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, that I'm b- about to met. I'll mention two. Uh, but I was bored one day at work and I just said, you know what, everybody's talking about, uh, Erling Holland and, you know, is he going to score 40 goals This that and the other, I think most clubs can benefit from just having a classic nine who just scores goals. I mean, I'm not saying that he's the most technical to, or, or the most athletic person. You know, yes, it'd be great if it's Victor Ossie Amazing. You know, great. But what if he just scores goals? Right. So I went through the top five leagues and I wrote down from 2005 till 2019. I wrote down. All, I mean, again, I was bored. Okay, So I wrote down all of the classic, mostly classic Uh, nines who scored at least double digit goals it was like over the past 15 seasons in each top five league, there was about 20 players right i mean i'm talking like yakubu for everton yakubu look him (laughs) my man was not fit the majority of the time but he scored (laughs) goals in a season right so Mm. what i've really really kind of leaned into And I do the same thing when I'm looking at uh, undervalued managers to monitor is okay, who is scoring goals? Because we can talk about a lot of things, but goals have a way of being the signal and less of the noise. But we can't be seduced by the goal scorer, but we need to be able to find. um, I believe in recruitment, you need to be able to find points. And the only way you can find points is you guys score goals, period. So he's not – I mean, he's not super undervalued, but I just – ever since end of – I think it was end of 21, Kevin Denke at Circle Bruges to me is one of those players where I do not understand why he's not being talked about more. And I I say that more so it's just not his time, right? It's just not his time. But when you see the – I mean, there's a little bit of – what's his name? What is this? Similar striker. Wilfred Boney uh, from – Couple of years back, he he seems similar to that, but Wilfred Boney was more of a rigid number nine. Yeah, target man. Denki seems to me to be the type of person, or uh, type of profile that, if he can be put in a similar dynamic, a a a more um, financially capable circle, Bruges, as far as playing style, he he might be he he might be one of the top goal scorers in the top five league or Champions League Europa League for the better part of half of a decade. So that's one. Um, I'm trying to, I, I take a break from Scandinavian football until they um, restart, but um, i trying to think of um, a profile in either Norway or it'll come to me. But at the end of the day, maybe I, maybe I, maybe I overpromised. Uh, <laughs> I, I really like Norway. Um, I really like what actually, hold on. If you, I have my Y-Scout, if you bear with me, about 30 seconds here. Yeah, actually, for, for
0: Kevin Dunkey, um, on an earlier episode, we had kind of discussed um, our favorite informed strikers um, mm-hmm. at that moment. And he was my pick um, for the simple reason that, as you mentioned, he's that that big, big number nine, also has, almost has an – american football-esque physique kind of yeah. like similar to like just a big guy who's super athletic super muscular but at the same time like he's he's nimble and he doesn't have the movement that you re- that you regularly get from that type of player he often collects the ball deep and kind of runs out of the fence and when you see this this huge guy running at you you, you, you kind of scared and and backpedal most of the time and i feel like that's kind of his strength is that often these these big number nines um tend to to make runs and and expect through balls or just act as a as a target man in the in the box mm-hmm. um and they, they they make their difference within a few seconds, right? They, they get the ball and then within two or three touches, that's where they, they make their difference. While Denki um, collects the ball deep and he has like a 10-second span where he's creating something, be it a, a goal chance, be it space for one of his teammates, right? He He's more of a creator than most of these guys. Although he, he, he's not necessarily creating chances for his teammates he's at least either creating space or creating a chance for himself i feel like that's why he 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 would probably be best suited with like inverted wingers right who also bring goal goal threat i guess mm-hmm. not necessarily a pure nine who, who stays up top but an, a nine who can Create space for himself and create space for his teammates, and for that reason, I feel. I remember back when we, when we recorded that episode. I think I was rec- recommending him to Napoli, um, because um, in a different way to Victor Ursiman, um, I feel like Denki combining with some of the wingers that they have at Napoli could really express his full capacity in creating space right and and goal chances for wingers such as Farad um Politano, uh, they've just re- recruited uh, Cyril and Gonge from Hellas of Heron. So a lot of like goal scoring wingers who could benefit from that kind of tanky striker who, who just creates space for them basically.
1: Yeah, I mean he um and it's not a apples to apples it's not a linear comparison but he he reminds me of a a he reminds me of Lewandowski not not necessarily stylistically but more so he's going to score his he's going to make his chances but he just makes the 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 associative the the complementary parts of the attack that much more dangerous which obviously allows for him to score more goals um, because you, you can't um, if if Lewandowski and obviously I'm going back way back here a little bit, but when you have uh, Robin and you have Ribery, obviously I'm going back pre COVID right with this example. But when you have those two on the wings, those are not your, your primary attackers, right? In a sense, Mm. in a sense, but they're dangerous to where you have to honor them. But But then when you have a nine, who's capable of scoring by any means necessary, head, left foot, right foot, you know, thigh, stomach, whatever, of the caliber of Lewandowski, you essentially, you you amplify your attack. Um, A similar player, and again, I know, I mean, he's a topic du jour, but I've always just, I've always been a huge fan of Brian Broby. Again, not... I understand. I understand. I get it. And, and technically he, he went to Red Bull, Leipzig, that didn't work out and came back to Ajax. But there is, to me, there is there is a skill as a striker, as a classic number nine, going back to my Yakubu uh, example, of knowing what pays the bills. And you will, I don't think, I haven't seen it yet for almost four seasons, you will not see Brian Brabby doing tricks you won't see him trying to dribble or take anybody on one-on-one. Really, it's not that he can't. Yeah. It's not that he can't. I, I think that he could. Um, every other game or so, he could he could destroy center back, and he does. Uh, you know, uh, fullbacks on, on on a dead sprint. But he knows that his biggest use, his his highest value, is to get it to. I mean, back in the day, a Dusan Tadic or to kick it out to the wing to where uh, I was don't know how to say it, Burgues, whatever. Burgwine. Um, oh, yeah, Burgues. yeah. Well, Burgwine too. He, he knows yeah. to get the ball wide or to get the ball back so that he can get back into the pocket to where he has a higher uh, percentage chance on goal. So when I see strikers like that, uh, this is a name that um, uh, I'm just high on him and I, he might not ever pan out to be anything at a top five league level or Europa League level. But there's a young Polish striker. His name is Karol Zuba at uh, Arka, Arka Gdynia. Um, I've seen him for almost two and a half seasons, and I don't know if again we're talking about undervalued markets. That's one. That's one that I don't talk about, or I don't, I don't know why it's not more, um, you know, uh, harvested in a sense, other than maybe language and um, funding. But Poland is a sneaky, sneaky good uh, recruiting ground, especially for um, not, I want to say the flanks, so wingers and fullbacks, wing backs, things of that nature. Um, just like, just like maybe more so, Denmark. Denmark is Denmark is tough. It's kind of like the English Championship, where the wings and the flanks are very, um, very uh, combative. But the center mm. of the park is not too far behind as well. So if you're young, and you play in one of those positions, and you're getting minutes early, that bodes well. So I give you Zubak, and then I'll give you one more, um, just because. Yeah, why not? But um...
0: yeah, I remember. I remember at the time um, Dortmund actually were recruiting. Um, a lot of Polish players, right? They had um, yeah. Piszczek on the uh, right back, and also Blazikowski, right wing, and that kind of um. And I, I think there was one more, but I can't remember his name. But that kind of confirms what you, what you're saying in terms of the the wingers, um, and it being a good market for for that uh, position, right?
1: Yeah, I mean the the, the last. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean it, it's it's something that and there's not always going to be one or a few every season. So that that's the that's the mental part of it where you you have to appreciate that just because the league has a reputation doesn't mean that there's a a um a there yeah. that you know that season or recently, right? But um, I mean, quite honestly, one of the most um, impressive. And he's still very young. Uh, One of the most impressive strikers uh, that I've seen. Uh, Classic number nine. Um, Let me put his name into WhatsApp because his name is not. I've seen it called different things, but he plays in the Israeli league, Maccabi Petah Tikva. Mm.
0: Um, Tugerman or something like that.
1: No, no, no. Uh, He's good too, but he's a little bit older. Idan, close. Idan Toklomati. 19, um, he's very I don't want to say he reminds me of Robbie. I just want to say he's, a, he's, he's more efficient than a 19 year old should be right like, like, I, like I said there's a certain level of uh, resignation to not um, not overdo it to just do what we practice and that I think, I mean, being, I played a different sport, but when you're young, you want to show all your skills, right? Why not show them what you can do, show them your left foot, show them yeah. your right foot, right foot, you know, show them your techers, you know, all, all that. Right. But like this, he doesn't, he doesn't seem to have, he doesn't seem to display that during um, matches. And um, to, to that end, you, you start to get, when you watch again, I, I mean, I'm very much a pattern recognition. That that's how God gave me wisdom and knowledge. I'm not smart academically. I'm not that person that could uh, engineer and build stuff. So my wife's, uh, you know, uh, she lets me know on a regular basis, right? But like, if you if you show me something three, four, five times, I will anticipate it with clarity from that time. You know, the third time onward because I've seen it. And I know what to see or what to expect before it happens. And with these strikers, especially with nines, um, there was a time where, and I think this is where going back to um, uh, not focusing on strategy, not focusing on tactics or playing style as a, dare I say, as a religion or as a, as a uh, hard truth, focusing more so on what you have and what is working, repeating what works Uh, Guardiola had Messi. Messi is not a traditional number nine. You better change everything for Messi. (laughs) Can you imagine? Yeah. Can you imagine if Guardiola wanted to force, wanted to keep Messi on the wing? Are you serious? Right? Like, I mean, it's easy for us to say 20 years later, right? Let's be fair. But when you go back to how football is played, and, and more importantly, when you go back to how football is won, you need somebody to score goals, and that person is usually closest to the goal. It's it's ironic. Yeah,
0: yeah. who who would who would dare to put Messi on the wing? Right, like not not some Fr- French capital club by any chance. No one would dare to I, to try that.
1: I don't even know who or what club you're talking about. I have no <laughs> idea. The only club that I could possibly think of is Paris Saint-Germain. But yeah, yeah, I mean, exactly. Right? Yes, I it, like it, that. Makes no, it makes no sense when you sit back and you weigh, quite frankly, what is he good at? What do we have? And ego comes into it. Uh, timing comes into it, but. Leadership is able to, and that's another reason why, I mean, like I said, I keep going back to leadership. When you can lead, um, you, you tend to be able to problem solve or, or problems, problems, quotation marks, tend to become details. How many times did you hear, and I'm going back a while, so to be fair, it might be a lot. But how many times did you hear Guardiola complain about managing at Barca? He talked about yeah. the demand, but he didn't complain about it, right? Because he knew he had the the tools for for what he needed to do to do it, and he knew that he he would be able to, um, dare I say, problem solve it. Nothing against Shadi, but at the same time, you know, at the at the end of the day, leadership is you, if you if you can lead and you know how to get the most out of the people um, that you are, you have been given, you you tend to find a way through, and. Of course, there's always going to be extenuating circumstances that make it harder. Um, But the the other thing, too, that I've learned by now tracking managers for over a year is that the good ones tend to score goals and keep goals out. It doesn't matter about playing style. It doesn't matter if they're in, you know, Antarctica or the U.S. or uh, Championnat National. Like the good ones are able to score goals and have a playing style with the players that at their disposal keep goals out. It's it's like I said, it's ironic, but like it, it really can be that simple once you break it down to what it's worth.
0: Yeah, and I think that kind of joins what you were saying about strikers. Um, and I, th- I think strikers specifically is the position where, I mean, it's the pos- position that everyone wants to play right when 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 we're younger, and it's the position where. Everyone wants to express themselves the most, I guess, maybe with wingers. And so going back to the, the players you mentioned that kind of knew their job, knew what they had to do, um, and that's what makes them good, right? Probably <clears throat> Denki, um, the, I forgot his name, the, the Premier League striker that you mentioned. Um, the Polish guy? Yeah, knowing what you have. Sorry?
1: I said the Polish guy? Oh yeah, you know Yakubu. Sorry, no, I, yeah, yeah, cool. yeah I, Yakubu.
0: Yakubu. Yakubu. No, knowing what you have to do and and kind of doing it uh, is ultimately what leads to results in football specifically. And so yeah, in that sense, that kind of joins what you're saying about managers and just if you score goals and you don't concede goals, um, you tend to to get good results. Um, but yeah, I think that's that's a good place to to wrap up the podcast. We've been going on for a while now. Um, but first of all, I want to say thank you very much to you, David, for coming on. It's been a great pleasure and a very interesting and insightful conversation.
1: Yeah, I uh, I was worried that you were going to grill me on certain... No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It was fun. It was, it was fun.
0: Yeah. And um, a reminder that you can follow David at Undervalue on Twitter, on X, should I say. You can also follow me, Alfred, at Driver underscore ICE, I-C-E-E on X as well. Please also keep a lookout on our Get Football media outlets where we cover European football and world football with news, videos, opinions from some of the most plugged in analysts across the football landscape. You can see a link in our show notes to all of our outlets. Please rate the podcast and give us a five-star review and feel free to leave a comment on our socials too. Thank you very much for listening and we look forward to the next one. Bye-bye.